We're going to be looking at the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles or you have your applications, whatever, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts 16. The words will also be on, on the board, um, so you can follow along that way. But this is the founding story of the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul, the, the guy who kind of founds this church, uh, later, 10 years later actually, writes a letter back to the Philippians uh, with you know, finding joy and all the things that we're going to be looking at. So my hope today is, is a couple of things. One, to kind of set up uh, nec- the, the series that we're starting, kind of frame it in its historical context. But also, too, in looking at the story, it, it surfaces a topic that is a- actually one of the topics I'm, I'm asked most of as a pastor. And that is this question. How do I know what God's will is? How do I know what God's will is for me? If God is there and he, he has a loving purpose to, to serve others and, and his primary way of doing it is through his people, how do I know what my part in that is? What does that look like? How do I discern it in my career, in, in my location, all these different ways? How do, how do, I, dis- how do I know what God's will is? Um, and so we're, we're going to be looking at that today. Uh, I, you know, I've had a lot of people over the years uh, say to me something to the effect of this, man, I wish God would just give me a blueprint of his will for my life. If you just make it a bun- like a blueprint, show me what exactly I'm supposed to do, then I go out and do that. It's this lack of clarity stuff that's really hard and frustrating, and I've been there. Um, maybe this is a question you've never considered before at all. Maybe this is a question you haven't considered for a long time. What is God's will for my life? The scripture we're looking at this morning has a lot to say about how God leads and uh, and uh, how, how we can follow him in it. And I love how it does it because it does it in a profoundly helpful way. It's not like the, any of the letters that Paul writes, for instance, like the one in, uh, t- to the Philippians that we'll look at next week where he says, hey, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Understand this, understand this, excuse me. <clears throat> do this, do this. Actually, how we see it unfold, how we understand about God's, uh, following God's will is from a story is from a narrative of Paul trying to figure it out himself and running into confusion, probably running into a little bit of frustration, not being able to figure it out quite right, but in the end, seeing God orchestrating this wonderful thing for him and his companions to be a part of that he never would have planned for himself. And I think this is important for us to consider because this is often how God chooses to make his will known today. Um, so if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and read the text. And I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So Acts 16, starting in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they, enter, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, and got, uh, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us 
to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's pray. Father, I love how we can look at your word and find it profitable for, for learning, for understanding our own life. Even something like from a story. It seems like they're kind of running around trying to figure things out, and yet there's, there's some principles here. There's things that you want to teach us through your text. And so, Lord, would you open that up to us today? Would you give us your spirit? Would you give me your spirit? I ask as we consider these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the beginning of this text opens up with them just kind of going all over to all these really hard-to-pronounce names, funny names, areas, Phrygia, Galatius, uh, Galatia, um, you know, Mysia. We'll get to that in a second. We'll put up a map and kind of break that down. But first, we need to understand who is this guy, Paul, and what is he doing with all, like, why is he doing all this traveling? Uh, now, there's a lot we could say about Paul, okay, just tons we could say about Paul. But for our purposes, the best thing to probably help us get to it is to understand that he was the first church planner, essentially. He was the first person to go around and start churches, Jesus, after he died on the cross and then rose again, he came to his disciples and he gave what's called the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He actually said from in Jerusalem, Judea, that's the province that Judea, Jerusalem was a part of, um, Samaria, which is another you know, concentric circle out, and then to the ends of the world. Paul is the guy who is taking that commission out into the world. He's pioneering church startups. And that's what he's doing in all these different places. He's starting up churches. And more specifically, how he's doing that, and we see this repeated three times in this text, is he's preaching the word, verse 6. Verse 10, he's preaching the gospel. In verse 15, he's preaching a message. So what's that all about? Um, this actually brings us to the first thought I'd like to bring to your attention in terms of finding and following God's will, and that is it always starts with Jesus and it always revolves around him and his gospel message. Uh, that's probably not how it's going to be. Yeah, God's will always starts and revolves around the gospel of Jesus. Um, it's talking about he's taking the message, he's taking the word. Now, what's the word? He's preaching the word. What's that mean? Is that just the Bible? It's interesting. Uh, John, one of, the, one of Jesus' followers, later wrote a biography about Jesus, the gospel of, of John. It's after his own name. And he starts that, John 1, saying, and the word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And he goes on to say who that Word is. That Word is Jesus. And he talks about, you know, if you were here over the, the summer, we did this series through the Old Testament where we were looking at, you know, all the scriptures that lead up essentially to Jesus' life and ministry. And we talked about how Jesus at one point looks back over all that and saying to one of his disciples, he said, you know, really, all of the scriptures, all of the word of God, beginning with Moses, which he's accredited as the beginning, writing the beginning, through all the prophets, meaning all the rest of it, it really all points to me, Jesus said. And most specifically, in what I came to do, what I did on the cross, uh, that, is the, that is the good news, that's the word, that's the message that Paul was preaching, the gospel of Jesus. Here's why I think this is so important when it comes to understanding God's will and living in God's will. Sometimes we can think, hey, what am I supposed to be doing? Like what, and if you're a follower of God's especially, you might be asking like, what, how does God want me to approach this life, my career path, or this transition that's coming up, I'm gonna need to move in a little bit, or this life season that I, that, that's coming. 
How do I understand that? How do I make sense of it? If there's one thing that we do understand with clarity as far as the scripture's concerned is that the will of God always starts with and always revolves around the gospel of Jesus. It is always talking about Jesus. The gospel, that, that's a word that you may have heard before if, if you haven't grown up in church or, or been around church. It literally means the good news of Jesus, that he came to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve. God created us to be in a perfect relationship with him. But we basically took that idea, we took that relationship he gave, and he said, you know what, God, we're okay with all the stuff you've given us, but we don't really need you a part of that equation. We'll take this, but not you. And God, knowing what that would do as our wrongdoings, as sin, as the Bible talked about it, came into this world. Though it hurt him, he said, you know what, I love you. You guys do your own thing. But that created a rift with us between each other, things that we feel every day if we really search our hearts. I mean, the wrongdoings, the selfishness that we do that hurts others, and let alone hurts our relationship with God, even if we've just disregarded him from the beginning. When the Bible talks about the consequences of sin are death, yeah, death is scary, and that's, that's, a, that's a bad thing, but the, 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 the weight of that, as the Bible's concerned, is the, the main pain about death entering the world is separation from God himself. That's the worst part about death. And so the good news speaks into that bad news and says Jesus came to deliver us from that, to restore our relationship with God the Father, to make that relationship whole. The best part is by doing everything on our behalf, doing everything for us. I came across a a quote late last night, so it actually won't be on the, the, the screen, Um, But John Stott, uh, pastor, author who passed away recently, says this, the gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand, but an offer. That's what God's will is. That's where it starts. That's where it revolves out from, which means if you're here and you've been searching in life and you've just been wondering, is there something more? The Bible talks about that being a void within us. Another way of putting that, a hole inside of us that God says he himself alone can fill. And he longs to fill. What God desires more than you going to church, more than you being a good person, more than you saying your prayers, all these sorts of things, what he desires most of all is a personal relationship with you. That's the gospel. That's where it starts. And if you haven't received that today, that's the offer. That's the invitation you can receive today. If you have received that, that's what God wants you to take into the world. He wants you to reflect and be that loving light to what Jesus has done for you, for me. Uh, I have a buddy who uh, ended up living a life similar to Paul's, okay? He ended up feeling a sense of calling that God was leading him to live in North Africa of all places, which if you know anything about most of North Africa and the spot he was in especially, that's a dangerous place to go and live and like be a missionary is essentially what he was doing. But here's why I bring that story up. If you had known him four or five years earlier to that moment, you would have never guessed in a million years that he would be the person to say, I'm going to go do that. Never. I met James at Cal. And if UC Berkeley has an MO, it's kind of the anti-establishment deal. You guys know this. If you've been there, you know this really well. And James was about as anti-establishment as anti-establishment can get. 
Um, and as far as our relationship was concerned, from his angle at least, is I was public enemy number one because I was Christian. And he just, he just had a lot to say, and boy, he let me know any chance he could how much he disapproved and didn't like the Christian faith. Um, and it was always kind of interesting because it wasn't like I was just kind of, hey, I'm going to try to probe him and have this conversation. Frankly, I was trying to avoid the conversation as much as I could with this guy. Because, I mean, I'm not making it up. He'd get red in the face, like, I mean, like borderline spittle of how angry, I'm not making, how angry of how mad, like this, and what I represented to him. Actually, a lot of the times, I, was, uh, I would sit there and be like, why are we even having this, con-? I'd say this to him. I'm sitting there like, why are we having this conversation? Like, why does this keep coming up? Um, to James, okay, so that's James, four years before, and then he's over living in North Africa, risking his life to share about Jesus. Like, what happened? Jesus happened. To, to James' amazing, like, I just have so much respect for James because he just decided to start coming to church. I don't even think I invited him, okay? So he just started, I'm serious. But to his credit, he started coming to church, and I, you could get cynical about it. I don't know. I, I, I should probably ask him at some point. You know, you could get cynical about it. Maybe it was just him going to, like, prove his thing, get a little more, a couple of more arrows in his quiver that he could, like, ah, I told you. Um, or or I, know I like to believe it was more, hey, he just wanted to understand, have a better understanding. He started coming to church, and he started to hear about Jesus. He started to hear the word, who he is, what he's about, that it's not just about fixing people, that's not just about how you vote, that's not just, actually, it's, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. Like, I'm, I care about you. And over a while, James is like, oh my goodness, this is real. Jesus is real. What he's done for me is real. And he put his faith in Jesus. Fast forward a little bit. He's going over. It starts with, it always revolves around Jesus and who he is, a relationship with him. That is the beginning of God's will. That's what it revolves around. And so the question then becomes, how do we live our life for that? You might be a software engineer. You might be in HR. You might be... Um, you know, a teacher, you might, all those number of things, but how can you, if you've received the love of Jesus, think about just as strongly, if, more strongly, okay, how has God placed me here in terms of letting people know about Jesus? Now, if you've come to Current for any length of time, you know, it's, it's, it cuts down to our DNA that we do not think it is our place to come down hard on people, to find a little soapbox and say, you know what, you need Jesus. You know, let me tell you about but instead, I was actually having a conversation this morning before service about this. We just want to offer him up. And if you're like James, and you're like, you know what, man, yeah, that's Jesus for me, then that's what we want to do. Um, it starts and begins with Jesus, God's will. A uh, second thought we see here is that sometimes following uh, God's uh, will, uh, uh, sometimes he, he, he leads by closing doors. Uh, this was so interesting. Did you detect this when we were reading through the text? All the times that God literally blocks Paul from doing the thing God called Paul to do. Uh, so he's going around planting churches, starting churches, preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Verse 6, uh, throughout Phrygia and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, uh, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Uh, if we can have the map put up there, um, this screen, I'm so sorry, it doesn't allow me to, it absorbs 
laser pointers, okay? So you're going to have to just bear with me. But this is, of course, a picture of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, on the top is modern-day uh, Turkey. Israel and, and Syria are on the right, very tip of, of Israel. Um, where Paul started was in a little city called Antioch on the far, the east, the east, most eastern part, northeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. You see that little arrow kind of pointing to it? That's Antioch. That's kind of where he launched out on this expedition. And where he launches, he went north west, okay, through the province of Sicilia, uh, uh, Cilicia, um, uh, that's purple there, the dark green Galatia, that's kind of where we pick up, in the middle of the dark green province there, he's just kind of aimlessly wandering, trying to figure out, where do I start up new churches? He gets through Galatia, Phrygia, and then he starts going through the province of Asia, that's, I mean, technically it actually is the continent of Asia, but that was a province, not to be confused, that's the kind of the salmon color, you know, not, not pink, Can't, salmon color up there. And he's just kind of working his way up. He goes, Bithynia and Pontus are on the top. So he kind of tries to go in there. Mysia is like way up towards there too. And he just kind of kind of keeps circling around western, western. He finally ends in that little city uh, uh, at the end there of, the pro- uh, of uh, modern-day Turkey in Troas. Here's what I want to call your attention to. That is a lot of walking. I mean, there's a little key there. That's, I mean, I don't think anybody, unless you're an eagle, can read, um, that it talks about like how the distance is. Um, he basically was walking in this passage of what we have. Now, we don't know exactly where he went, but general idea, he was walking 400, maybe even upwards, likely, more likely, 600 miles all by foot. That's a greater distance than here to Los Angeles. All by foot. And you heard it read, God was blocking him. The Spirit was blocking him. The Spirit was, how would you be feeling if you were Paul walking all this time being blocked? By the way, we don't know what it meant to be blocked. I mean, was that like a prophet came and talked? I mean, we might over-spiritualize it. I think it just meant they were trying to share the gospel and zero people were receptive. That's my guess, but we don't know. Um, How would you feel? You're up there like, okay, let's go. God, we're on your mission and being blocked. I'll tell you how I'd feel. I'd probably be a little discouraged. If nothing else, confused? This is a lot of walking, God. Didn't you call us to do this? To, call, to Paul's amazing credit, there's none of that mentioned in this text. Maybe he was doing it, maybe he's not. I, I, I think it would probably be in there. If it was, he's just, you know what? We're going to keep moving. We're just going to keep moving. And I think that's the point. We just got to keep plugging away. Sometimes God leads by closing doors. I mean, I was just sitting there. I was just like, man, current has so many stories of in our one year's time, actually stretching back a year before that, before we launched officially week after week, of God closing a lot of doors in order to find the right one. For instance, the space we are sitting in right now. Trying to find a facility in the Silicon Valley, you'll get the practice of being blocked. Okay, we got together as a team. I'm not going to go through all of it, but we're trying to find a space with the right specs, kids' space, all that sort of stuff. And boy, did we just, we talked to other people at schools, uh, hotels that had interesting thoughts, and a club in one, say, in one sense. Um, and we're just trying to figure it out. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. We're like, we feel pretty strongly that God wants us to do this. Well, let's just keep trying. So we kept trying, and then we did an event, kind of an outreach event, and somebody overheard us trying to make that outreach space work, even though there was like two parking spots and like a tool shed, which we were like, we'll put the kids in here, but no, we can't. They're going to get like killed with all these sharp tools. And so he heard us, and he said, hey, you guys check out the senior center. And like, well, okay. I don't particularly like senior centers, but okay, okay. Um, 
we came here, and it's been an amazing spot, far more amazing practically in terms of everything that we would have ever thought or planned on our own. Uh, it, it gave us a great relationship with the city of Mountain View that we weren't like out there trying to make, but we are trying to make, you know, are trying to like think through, okay, God, how do we steward that? All these things kind of come to, God constantly moves, but oftentimes it's through blocking things that we would want to do. To make this more personal home, I just talked about facilities in terms of our collective church story. How about you guys in terms of facility, in terms of like where you're living? You ever feel God block you there? If you're the statistical average, the answer is a lot, many times. Probably once a year when your lease comes up. That was my experience. And it's just, I mean, Cindy and I, we, you, you, uh, I've shared the story from here, uh, but not from this angle before. We're now living in a, a new spot. Uh, a new place, and we had thought, okay, we're going to, we're going to, um, with our son getting ready to go into kindergarten, him having changed like four daycares and four years and all that sort of thing, and this miraculous thing, this is a whole other story of being able to think about purchasing because Cindy's mom is, uh, would purchase with us. That's a whole other story. We found a, a, a neighborhood that we're like, you know what? We tend to think that God might want us in this neighborhood. Now, that might sound like, David, that's kind of a weird way to put it, but yeah, it is kind of weird. It's like, you know, maybe I'm over-spiritualizing it, but we had spent a lot of time in that neighborhood. We had lived in that neighborhood years ago. We, it, it was next to some, you know, actually a number of good friends, and we're just like the schooling, it makes sense. But I'll tell you, that was an exercise of being blocked, 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 blocked. Bidding on places and being like, whoa, we're not getting that place. Um, literally being priced out of that neighborhood in a matter of months and being like, and I'm, I'm going through the details, but let me ensure you that the emotions of that were like, oh, shoot me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm being serious, actually. And then we found another place that we would never have thought friends happened to move in right before us in this little townhome complex, the school that we hadn't thought about before, but now that we're there, it's like, Cindy and I were talking about this weekend. We're like, oh my goodness, we can't, we never would have planned this, but we are so like, this just feels right. And then rationally, it makes sense for this reason, this reason. God often leads by blocking doors. And so I think what he, what Paul is showing us here is we are just to keep plugging away until he moves. You know, an illustration that kind of came to my mind, um, uh, earlier on in life was the thought of God can move a car if it's in motion. You following me here? Like if the car is moving, the wheel can be turned and, you know, you have enough force to like take the car. I don't know why I'm doing this on display for you. Um, turn it around on stage. Um, but you can move. But if, if, you're s- if the car is not in motion, it's hard to even turn the wheel sometimes, let alone obviously get to the place. And so it's just, I feel like what we're seeing here is just get going and you know, God could do a 180 if he so wanted to. Um, but the point is we got to get moving. Uh, a, th- a third thought here is w- when it seems God is moving, just get going. I love this. Um, Paul and his, his companions, uh, maybe we could put the map back up. Um, thanks, Amy. They, uh, Paul at night receives a vision. And uh, I don't know what this vision was. I mean, was it a dream? Was it anything more than that? We don't know. But uh, uh, during the night, this vision of a guy from Macedonia comes and says, you know, you got to help me. And they wake up in the morning, and they're in the city of Troas, which again is in the far northwestern tip of the province of Asia there, trying to figure, they literally have no more real estate to go. They're, they're against the Aegean Sea there, Aegean Sea there, and th- this vision comes, and here's what it says. 
it says they get ready at once, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me, even the order of that structure in the text. They got ready concluding that. Does that make sense? Like, they're just, they're ready to get going. Now, what did that look like? How did they understand what Paul was saying? Uh, you, know, you know, I mean, that word concluding is a really actually a fun word uh, in the original language. Uh, concluding is not the, the full weight of what's being said there. More literally, trans, uh, a more little tr- uh, translation is they unified. They like talked together, they deliberated, and they concluded, they, they came together and like, you know what? Maybe Paul ate some pizza the other day, and that led to him having a weird dream. Um, but this actually makes more, it, it, we know Paul, we know his character, we, we hear how he's really saying this about the, like, and make, we got to do this. If this is God, we can afford to be wrong, but we can't afford to not be a part of something this cool. And so they decided together that they would go to Macedonia. One real quick thought, too, going back to our first thought. Notice how the guy says, hey, would you come help us over here in Macedonia? And their conclusion is that help is preaching the gospel to them. Now, they would go over there, and they'd meet tangible needs. But again, it was the gospel. It was the gospel. And so they got ready at once. They saw God moving. They concluded together, got at once. Uh, Again, I just think of the story here at Current. I mean, a, there's a number of us in this room that we just felt deep to our core, God is calling us to do this, like so strongly that we got to do this. In fact, I remember with people in this room, like coming and saying, hey, I feel like God's calling us to do this. Here's the reason why. Um, and them saying, oh, my goodness, we have to do this. And I'm saying, do we really have to do this? I was hoping you were going to say, no, that was the pizza from yesterday. I was hoping you'd say, no, that doesn't make sense. But, there, but they'd say, you know what, we got to do this. And current is here today because of a group of people saying, we've got to do this. And we've got to keep doing this. And now we look at what God's doing, and we're just like, God, you're amazing. We get to be a part of this, and we want to continue to be a part of this. Um, when God moves, we need to get going. When he, now, now, look, does he always work in signs and visions and, like, you know, these, like, super spiritual clouds parting type moments? No. No. Um, actually, even the book of Acts, which, you know, being in the Bible, especially around the time of Jesus, that has its fair share of, you know, these kind of miraculous visions type stuff, even in the book of Acts, that's mostly how it did not work. It, it was not m- mostly God leading through a vision and all the guys saying, okay, let's go over there. It was mainly, mainly they were just kind of figuring things out. And as God blessed, as they saw that the door was open, they just hit it hard. And we actually see Paul doing that here. They got ready at once. Uh, if we get, have the map up again, it's fascinating to me to go over to Macedonia. That's modern-day Greece. That's over here on this side. That's the, the yellowish province here. They cross over. Um, they stay at a little island called Samothrace there for a second. And then here's what I want you to notice. It says, I, I forget the verse here, they stop by Neapolis, verse 11. And then th- it says, really kind of nonchalantly, they pass on through and go on to Neapolis. Now, what's the deal there? Neapolis is part of Macedonia. God called them to Macedonia. At least they concluded that. Why wouldn't they go there? The only hint, it seems to me, that we get in the text of why they didn't stop at uh, uh, Neapolis and went on to Philippi is because Philippi was a Roman colony in the leading district of Macedonia. 
Here's what I think we're seeing in this text as we kind of pull it all together. We're seeing an interplay of God working in our part. God's work, God's will, our part in the work, our will kind of coming hand in hand. And what we're seeing in this situation is God calls them over to Macedonia, and they say, you know what? He didn't let us know where in Macedonia is. We're going to go to Macedonia, but if we're going to go to Macedonia, we might as well go to the place where we can have maximum influence maximum impact. This town of Philippi, where it's really buzzing, we can, we, can have, we can make a claim there, start building up a church there. But then when they get there, check this out, uh, God has some different plans still. Their plans, God's plan. On the Sabbath, which basically means a Saturday, a day of worship for the, for the Jewish people, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Okay, real quick context. This is highly unusual for Paul. This is highly out of the normal, I should say, for Paul. What he always did, what he, it was his custom to always go immediately to a synagogue in a town. Follow with me for a second. What this is saying is there was therefore no synagogue in the town of Philippi. You had to have 10 Jewish men in a city to incorporate as a synagogue, to establish a synagogue. Paul was no doubt looking for a synagogue, but Philippi, being the kind of city it was, spiritually and otherwise, didn't have 10 Jewish men. So they're figuring, okay, we're here. God, what do we do now? And so they go, they just, okay, let's go to a place of prayer. And so what do they do? It says they go out uh, past the walls to the river. That's two barriers removed out of the city that they had decided this is where God was leading me. And they find women gathered there praying. Fascinating thought. Paul probably, he would have gone to the synagogue to find the men, into the heart of the city, preach the gospel there, change things around. But God leads them outside of the direct city limits, past some barriers, all to these women gathered there worshiping. And a gal is there named Lydia of Thyatira, a dealer of the purple cloth. Kind of sounds like she's a thug, dealer in the purple cloth. From all that tells us that she was a well-accomplished businesswoman. Paul, following God, God's called them to preach the gospel. Paul goes out into all these cities. Paul's trying to go into cities. God blocks them from all these cities. God gives them a vision, coming over to Macedonia. Paul says, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go over to Philippi. Paul goes to Philippi, looks for a synagogue. He's not there. Go out here to Lydia. And then the last little thought here is Paul's just like, I don't know what else to do but preach the gospel. That's my thing. So he starts doing that. And then it says, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul preached, but God is the one who opened her heart. Um, that's what we see on every page of this Bible. Paul's not the hero. He's awesome. He's a great model. God is the hero. He is the actor. He is the one who loves and is pursuing everybody with the love of Jesus. When I'm studying the Bible and getting ready for the message on Sundays, I'm asking the text a lot of questions. I'm just, I mean, the main question I'm, I'm driving towards is what does God want by means of response? If you want to know how I study the Bible, that's, that's what I'm driving for. But I'm asking all these questions along the way. And one of the questions I asked, with a little bit of emotion, by the way, was God Paul wanted to go into these places like Bithynia, the province of Asia, Galatia. Why didn't you let him? Isn't that a little jacked up? What about the people there? Aren't they to be loved? And what I concluded real quickly was, well, we just don't understand God's ways, which is absolutely true. 
But then I was struck by a two-by-four when I, when I saw in 1 Peter 1, this is Peter writing to the churches, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God sent Peter to those guys. And I'm sitting there like, How, what? this is so emblematic of our culture and the way I see things. I live, we live with such a level of entitlement. Do we not? And, when it, and it seeps into my faith with God. Of God, why would you do it this way? How dare, you know, I wouldn't say it that way, but I feel, how dare you do it this way? And God is over and over again loving people so much greater than we ever would or we ever can. And our great honor, our great privilege is to partner with him and trust his leading, to say yes to following him. You know what's the most amazing thing? There's a lot of amazing in this story. The most amazing thing in this story is this is the first step of Christianity entering Europe. Lydia is the first European convert. The Church of Philippi is the first church in Europe. Think about history. That's a monumental shift. Now, there's some funky stuff that Christians did in Europe throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. But there's some amazing things that we still benefit from today, from God entering into Europe. The, the gospel from Europe spread to North America. Spread to Now it's exploding in places like Asia and South America. It's starting to wane in Europe. But this is the moment it went there. And how did it get there? Because Paul said, hey, let's go take the gospel to Europe. It's because Paul was running around, his head kind of chopped off, trying to figure out how he could be faithful. And you know what? God directed his steps. This is what uh, we envision and want to be a part of here at Current. This is, what, this is what it all comes down to. It's just to the best we can, paying attention and trying our best to follow God, to love those around us, to be a blessing, to be a light, and of course, of course, lift up Jesus and his goodness and his kindness. This is what we want to be about. Will it be frustrating at times? Will it be hard? Will there be moments where it's like, oh, why? Of course, of course, abs absolutely. But what's amazing to me is that God moves in even those times to put us in the place. As long as we're willing, he forgives us when we mess up, which, whew, that's awesome. And he just directs us to where he wants us to go. But the question that becomes for us, will we say yes and will we lean into and trust him as he moves? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, again, 